So this morning, what we're going to look at, we're in our series in the book of Romans. Um, we've been doing a series. We're going to be going through Romans all through the fall. Um, and Romans is one of those books that is kind of one of the foundational books of Christianity. Um, it it kind of sets the tone, sets what things are about. And so we've looked at the theme of Romans that we're, we're kind of going by is not ashamed of good news good news. And we've talked about this week after week. I just want to catch everybody up if you're new. You know, good news is something we don't hear much right now. Everybody wants to talk about the bad news. It's what sells. It's what gets on the cover of a paper. We just celebrated 9-11, something that was bad news at the time. There were a lot of good things that came out of it. I learned, I didn't know this, but on 9-11, one of the largest Boat flotilla rescue in human history happened on 9-11. How many of you knew that? Bigger than Dunkirk in World War II when they rescued the soldiers from Dunkirk. Why don't you know that? That's one of the greatest news stories ever. Because we don't report that. It doesn't sell. We don't want to hear good news. We want to hear bad news so we feel better about our life. Right? It's why bad news sells so well. I'll buy that because then I can sit in my chair and think, oh, glad I'm not like those poor people. Right? And so bad news sells in our world, and God is trying to tell us that, yes, the world is full of terrible news. Guess what? Worse news, Romans talks about it. Actually, the next three chapters of Roman, Romans, chapter 5 through 8, that we're going to look, look at, the whole next three chapters mention the word death, dying, or dead over 30 times. Almost like 35 times that word is mentioned the next three chapters of Romans. I thought about doing like death part one, death part two, death part three. Like, welcome to FX Church, death one, death two, death, but I'm not going to do that because there's more to it than that. But, but literally, we, our world is full of bad news and God is trying to say there is good news. On 9-11, they put, the Coast Guard realized there were people jumping off the island, because Manhattan, Manhattan, if you remember, is an island. You couldn't get off the island. People were trapped because of the debris and the chaos, and they had come to the, to the edges of the island to try to get off, and people were actually jumping into the water trying to swim. It was absolute chaos. And the Coast Guard realized, we can't do this. If we pull our boat up, we're going to be overwhelmed. So they put out a call to all boats anywhere near Manhattan. If you've got a boat, show up. And the largest fleet of boats in human history showed up to get everyone, over 400,000 people off Manhattan Island in nine hours. Nine hours. Why don't we know that news? Because we just love the bad stuff. And God is trying in Romans to tell us the truth about the bad news. There is bad news. But he's trying to show us that you guys keep missing when I show up, when I change the human heart, when I cause humans to, instead of being mean and wrathful and vengeance towards each other, they care for one another. That's me trying to tell you I'm God. I, that, that's me. My spirit's still over humanity. It doesn't mean that person has my spirit. It doesn't mean that individual person knows me. But I'm still in control of things, and I'm trying to reveal my goodness in a world that's full of nothing but death. And we don't like those stories. We don't remember those stories from 9-11. We think about, oh yeah, they went up in the towers. Oh, and they all died. Like, God wants us to know that there is good 
news. And that good news is found in hope in him. And when we don't find our hope in him and don't find our hope in things that, that bring life, then we're going to be miserable people. And that's what we see in our culture today. See, today's message is not ashamed of justification. Justification. People ask you, well, how do you justify doing that? How do you justify voting for Trump? How do you justify voting for Biden? How do you justify this or that or whatever it is? How can you as a Christian justify this? Is that not what we're going through? We've got people that are burning down cities justifying it. That it's okay for me to set a city on fire. There are people setting wildfires out west on purpose justifying it. They arrested four people this week trying to set fires on uh, interstate highways to cause chaos. How do you justify that? How do you get to a place where you're justifying what you think is right when you're justifying your life in such a way that it's like everyone else is going, there's no way. And that's exactly what Paul is laying out, that we as Christians, the way we look at the Christian life, the way we look at things, when he's writing to Rome, and the Romans, as I say each week, were very similar to us. Their culture, very similar. They lived in a republic, we're in a republic. Very similar, and Paul's writing to them and saying, be careful, because if you're not careful, you're going to take the good news and turn it into bad news. Or you're going to take the good news and you're going to twist it and in the end it's actually bad news because you really didn't tell the good news. And so we've got to remember that, that Paul is writing this. God is having Paul write this letter to let us know how to be justified. To let us know that when we're doing works, when we're doing the right thing, how do we know if we're justified in doing it? That it's the just thing to do, the right thing to do. How do we know if, if we're right or we're wrong? Like, how do I know that? And Paul says, well, let me help you. Let me make it really clear. And so he lays out some things. Remember, our theme for the book of Romans is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, that means it was given to the Jews first, and then they were supposed to be God's messengers to everybody else. And also to the Greek, that means everybody that's not Jewish. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, it's the same message. The message in Genesis is the same as Revelation. It's not like different messages throughout history. It's the same message. Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus' name means. It means Yahweh saves. Jesus Christ, who is Lord, means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, who is Yahweh. That's what his name means. So there's no distinction that it's from faith to faith. And he's laying all this right. And he says, for in it, God's righteousness, what is right, is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Will live by faith. And faith isn't something that's like, well, I'm just, I just hope that this happens. I just believe. No, God has given us like concrete evidence to believe in him. Like we looked at that in the First week when he talks about Romans 1 and talks about creation and all those things. And like he's given us concrete evidence to say, no, I, there is a God and there's something going on beyond you. You see, justification, everyone loves to use justification, their ideas, their beliefs, what they place their faith in to justify a lot of things. That's why how every war happens is two people say, I'm justified, let's kill each other. That's how a war happens. That's what James says. Where do these fights and wars come from? They come from within you, not what's out there. They come from you 
desiring to justify yourself and justify the world around you the way you think it should be justified. That's where wars come from. I mean, it is. It, so, so do we never fight a war? Do we just let Hitler run through Europe and take over? And, no. He needs to be stopped. Like, but these are real struggles we have to live with, and Paul knows this, and so he writes. And here's the thing. Tune in. We all want justice for someone. We all want justice for someone other than ourselves. Let me say that again. We all want justice for someone other than ourselves. There's a lot of people running around saying justice for these people or that group of people or this person or that or whatever. Do they really want justice for their sins, for their wrongs? Do they want the people that they hurt to hold them accountable? Do they want the way they cheated on their taxes, the IRS to show up at their house, or do they want them to show up at the politicians' houses? Because my guess is with a complicated tax, tax code, you probably broke a law. I'm just saying. Most likely, you broke some tax law at some point uh, if you've been working. For those of you who are younger and your parents fill out your taxes, they probably broke a law for you. So you're guilty because they didn't do it right. Because there's so many laws you can't keep up. And that's what Paul's getting ready to tell us in this chapter of Romans. He's like, the law doesn't justify you. It just shows you how in trouble you are. And we keep trying to pass more laws or hold more laws. Or we just want to get rid of the law like that's going to fix it. It doesn't. And so Paul is laying this out. And he's trying to tell us what the biblical definition of justice, of being justified, justification, being right before God and being right in your heart and in the world you live in. So we dive in. The first place I want to start before we dive into Romans is I want to go back because it's from faith to faith. So let's go backwards first. Job. Job chapter 9. Job is the oldest book, or oldest story. It may not be the oldest book. Probably the oldest story that we have in the Bible. The story of Job is one of, Job's a righteous guy. God calls Job right. Calls him just. Like, God calls Job... God doesn't call too many people in the Bible just or righteous, just so you know. Like, like, just outright says it. Now, he does for us, we're going to see. But he calls Job righteous, and then Satan comes and says, hey, I want to test Job, because I believe if you give Job bad things, Job will curse you. God's like, okay, I don't believe Job will do that, so go ahead. And Job's life becomes a disaster. All of his kids die. He loses everything. The only person that's kept alive, I've said this before when I talk about Job, the only person God keeps alive is his wife who tells him to curse God and die three different times. That's how encouraging she is to him. Like if you were Job, you'd be like, could you take her? Like it's, I'm good. Like, I mean, that, Job has three friends that are the worst friends ever. God even says they're terrible friends, like in the end of the book. Like these guys are horrible. And then there's a fourth friend that's kind of, we don't really know if he's terrible or not. He's kind of hard to distinguish. He doesn't say the right things. I don't think he's a real good friend either. That's Job's life for a moment. And Job is writing, and right after one of his friends lays into him and says, Job, you're not justified. You're, you're terrible. You're awful. You're not seeing how awful you are. After Job has been telling God, I don't know what I've done. I, I, I'm sorry. You know, he's crying out to him. His friend's like, you haven't, you haven't cried out enough. You're, you haven't seen how bad enough you really are. And, and Job's like, what, what more do I have? I don't have anything left except the wife that keeps badgering me to die. I don't want to, 
I got nothing. He's got sores and boils. I mean, he's, he's physically ill. He's got, and he writes. He looks at the guy who just gave him some bad advice and says, hey, look, I know that you, what you said is true. Like, I don't agree with the way you said it. I don't agree with, like, you, but I know that what you said is actually true. But see, the guy that was talking was twisting the truth to get Job to do what he wanted Job to do, what he thought Job should do. And then he says, but how can a person be justified before God? Oldest book in the Bible, right? Oldest story that we probably have in the Bible. And the question that Job asks is, how does anyone be justified before a holy, righteous, almighty, incredible, all-knowing God? Anyone. And then he says, if, if one wanted to take him to court, he could not answer God once in a thousand times. God is all wise, or God is wise and all powerful. Who has opposed him and come out unharmed? Can I just tell you that most of us, if we're really honest in our heart, we oppose God all the time. And then we wonder why there's so much harm in our life and in our heart. Are there afflictions? We'll see that in a minute, yes. But, but Job recognizes, and you want to know what one of the most offensive, harmful things that you can say is? I'm just trying to be a good person. Let me say that again. Saying I'm just trying to be a good person is one of the most harmful, offensive things you can say to God. Because you're not a good person. No one is good, not one. No one is righteous, not one, God says. Job realizes this. Job's like, I got nothing to justify myself. Well, wait, you, God called you righteous. Well, Job didn't know God called him righteous in heaven. When the conversation with Satan, like Job's just like, I know I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not worthy of my kids. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of anything. I, I, I'm not worthy to have a great marriage. I'm not worthy. I'm just not. Job recognizes, and he recognizes at the same time that all that's happening to him shouldn't be happening. Things like this shouldn't happen to people. Something's wrong. Something's amiss. Where is God? Is what Job is asking, and how is this justifiable? How can God do this? What, what is going on? And that is our culture today. And we're the ones, like Paul gets ready to lay out, that are supposed to have the answer. And if you want to stand before God and say, I've been a good person, and you start saying, this is what I've done right, this is what I've done right, and try to make a list, God is going to look back at you and say, do you really want your, the other list? Let me ask you, why did you do that right thing? Well, no, 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 let's not talk about that. I don't want to talk about why I did it. I just want to tell you I did it. I did the right thing. Okay, great. Why did you do it? Well, because I wanted to stick it in the eye of my roommate that she doesn't do the dishes, so I did them. But it was really to serve her. I was trying to be a good person, do the right thing, love her well, and also jab her in the back. So she comes home, she sees the dishes, and she's like, oh. And I was hoping she would respond with, I'm so sorry. I recognize now I'm unjustified. And she didn't respond that way. You see, our hearts are so twisted. And that's what Paul starts laying out. In Romans 3, we looked at this before. I'm just going to read it. It says, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. In other words, by trying to do the right thing. By saying, well, I did this, I did this, and I did this. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Because when you say, well, I did this, God is going to look at you and go, yeah, but this is all the things you didn't do. Uh. And the thing you did do, you didn't do for the right motive, so it actually doesn't count. <laughs> and then he goes on, he says, 
But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested to by the law and the prophets. In other words, all the Bible attests to what's really right, what's really just. That is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, Yahweh who saves. Job was crying out to Yahweh saying, please save me. That is the only way to be justified, period. There is no other way to be justified. It's why Christianity is the only religion. There's not another religion. All the other religions say you can go before God with your works, with the laws that we have written in our sacred scriptures, and you can say to your God, whoever that is, look, I measure up. I've done the right things. Now you owe me. Who's God in that relationship? You are. You're telling God what he's going to do. Versus Job, oldest book, Roman, looking and saying, God, I, I can't be right. I don't know how to be right. I keep trying to be right, and then I fail. I take one step forward and three steps back. I, I cannot, I look at my world, and it looks like people are trying to be right, and things get worse. And he says, that is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. In other words, anybody can cry out and say, Yahweh, save me. I'm done saving myself. I'm done trying to be justified before you. I'm, trying to, I'm done trying to prove to everyone and to you, look at how awesome I am and look at how I can make laws and make rules and make everyone work to my advantage. I'm done with it. I just want you. He goes on, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you, that means me, everybody. We all have the curse of sin on us we'll look at. They are justified freely by his grace, through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That means the Messiah who is Yahweh who saves. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That you are justified by placing your faith in him to save you, not in you to stand before him someday and declare to him, this is how I've saved myself. That won't work. And he says, apart from that, you're in trouble. And then he goes on, he says, we're justified what? Freely. Can I just be honest with you? I said it last week, we don't like that. Why? Because I've done so many right things and they haven't. And how dare they get heaven and how dare they get into heaven and how dare they when, when I've been so righteous and, and they haven't. It's a free gift. Why don't you celebrate the free gift and say, man, do, do you have the free gift of Jesus? And then talk to them about, I don't think you're responding well to the gift. You left the gift out in the rain and the cold and you're not taking very good care of it. If the gift was valuable, you'd take care of it. So I'm questioning, do you really understand the gift you have? See how that's different than you better measure up, you better work, you better prove yourself? See, this is one of the reasons the Reformation happened. It was over this very issue. It's one of the reasons why Catholics today do not believe this doctrine. Catholics today, today do not believe, the Catholic Church does not believe you are justified freely by grace. It is by grace and by works, and you have to do both or you're not saved. And if you don't do works, then guess what? There's an out. You go to purgatory and maybe you can do the works to get to heaven. In other words, they don't have to tell the full truth about the good news, about God's wrath, about his judgment, about his love, about his mercy, they can always just have an out with people to say measure up to our standard, which means you need to say our prayers, you need to give our, the money, you need to listen to our priests, and if you don't do these things, you're not justified. 
That's exactly what Paul's writing against. 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace. That's a free gift, an unmerited favor in which we stand. We don't stand on our works. We stand on the grace of our God. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, once we stand in grace, things are still a mess. And we say, I know it's a mess, but I'm not trusting in this world. I'm not trusting in our nation. I'm not trusting in our laws to fix anything. I'm going to trust in where I'm headed with you someday. And then he says, And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Look, if you're trying to work your way to get to heaven, you will not be able to rejoice in your afflictions. It's impossible. You're trying to justify yourself. You don't rejoice when bad things happen. You get mad and tell God the way things should go because you've been a good person. And it is a sure sign that you turn the corner away from grace and you're starting to justify yourself. Versus looking and saying, Yep, afflictions is pretty much the world. There's all kinds of afflictions. Guess what? Flu season's coming. Affliction. Yay. And if it's not that, something else is going to get you. I mean, we were joking this week about, not really joking, but talking about, you know, people are saying the virus. The virus? You realize there's like millions of them that could get you. And we're just focused on one because it's in the news. But there's all kinds of viruses that can kill you. And guess what? They've always been there. It's not like they're just appearing all of a sudden. We're finding out that animals have been carrying these viruses, and that's where they're coming from. We're getting them from animals. Oh, by the way, most of them are animals that the Bible declares unclean. Now, they're clean now under grace. We don't have to abide by the law, but maybe we should go back and look at the Old Testament and say, maybe maybe I should at least consider God's laws. Maybe just a little bit. doesn't mean I have to do everything. Like, I'm not measuring up. Like, I have to do these things. And Peter said everything's been declared clean, right? He saw a sheet coming down. All animals have been declared clean. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences. We all carry stuff. I can be clean in Christ and be carrying a virus that can kill people. I can be fully saved and fully clean and and unintentionally hurt someone else. Because that's just the world we live in. He goes on and he says, endurance produces, oh, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. This is Job. This is Job's life. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to you. He goes on and he says, while we were still helpless. See, the problem with most people is they're unwilling to see themselves as helpless. We don't start there. Right? You just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, correct, but who gave you the boots? (laughs) And he goes on, he says, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, there was a plan. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the day when Jesus would die. Now we look back to the day when he did die. And all of faith to faith, human history looks forward to the day when Jesus comes back and death is done. There's no more death. And he says, though a And then he said, for rarely will someone die for a just person. In other words, someone that thinks they're just. You don't want to die for that guy, right? The guy that always thinks he's right, do you really want to die for him? Oh, he thinks he's right. Let's see how this works out for him. He thinks he's right. He thinks those wings are going to work when he jumps off that building. I'm not telling him anything. I know they're not going to work. I'm an engineer. Bad move. But 
I'll just watch. I'm not going to save him. <laughs> he goes on and he says, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. In other words, you look and go, dude's clueless. He's a good guy. Maybe I'll try to save him. He goes on and says, but God proves his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, we were idiots, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. In other words, it's all about what he's done. Now, I can't shed enough blood to have my sins forgiven. Only Christ's blood can do that. We talked about blood last week. I'm not going to go into that. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled, reconciled means things made right, we will be saved by his life. So we were enemies because of our sin, because we keep trying to justify ourselves. And he says, but we've been reconciled. We've been made right through what he's done. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is Yahweh, who is Yahweh, who saves, who is the Messiah. We have now received this reconciliation through him. In other words, I can't make myself right before God. Let me tell you this. You can't make yourself right in your relationship with people either. If God doesn't do it, you're, you're hopeless. Because in every relationship you're in, the other person has some very justifiable things to hold against you. You don't think so? Take my wife and have some time and just talk to her for about 10 minutes about the way that she is justified in the stupidity of my life. Just take five, ten minutes. It, won't, it, might, it probably only take two minutes, actually. Two minutes. She will give you a list. Not because she's like keeping a record of wrong. It's like, well, you asked. I mean, we have a list of wrongs, right? I mean, we got all these people sin in the Bible. God isn't afraid to say, yeah, you're stupid. Don't be stupid. Like, that's, that's the Bible. And so I'm not justified. Like, Susan has a list. So you know what Susan has to do to love me according to God? Give me grace. She has to die and lay her life down and extend forgiveness and grace to me before I ask for forgiveness. Now, does that mean she has to let my sin affect everyone? No, not necessarily. That's why we have the body of Christ. We help one another. But according to Scripture, she responds in grace to me to try to draw me to the truth of who God is. And I have to do the same for her. And we don't like that. I would rather have enemies. Let's be enemies. I know how to fight. This whole grace thing, that takes a supernatural power that I don't want to have. He goes on and he says, 12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, that's Adam, which we'll see in a second, in the same way death spread to all men because all have sinned. In other words, in fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. In other words, he goes on to say, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Adam to Moses means in the Old Testament before the law was written, because the law was written after Moses. So it's like there was sin, there was death, and he says, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. They didn't do exactly what Adam did, but he goes on and he says, he, Christ, is a prototype of the coming one. So it says, therefore just as sin, listen, some of you have genes that will kill you. You have DNA that's going to kill you. Some of you ladies in here may be carrying the breast cancer gene. You inherited it. 
Nothing you do about it. It's in my family. Got a sister and a grandmother that both died from it. And I've got two daughters. You don't think I think about it all the time? The curse of human DNA? It breaks me sometimes to think through it. To think, God, your will be done. I, I just don't want this for my kids. I want this for my daughters. I'll take it. I don't get that call. We don't get the call on sin. We are all cursed because Adam's DNA, when he said no to God, has been passed down and every human sense tells God no. It's at the core of our being. And until we finally say, God, I'm done telling you no, help me tell you yes. I surrender to you. We're in trouble. Just like we are with human DNA. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Then he goes on. He says, but the gift of Christ, of this coming one, is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. That is Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. Joshua Messiah. That's what Jesus' name means in the Old Testament. Hebrew. 16 says, and the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. The many trespasses is why Christ died for you. Because he knew you were in trouble. He knew our world was in trouble and they knew that from the creation that when we create these people, they're gonna go the other way and Jesus said, I'll pay the price. And anyone who will let me pay the price for them and die in their place, I will justify before my Father in heaven. And anyone who gets that's going to live a different kind of life because they're going to understand the gift they have. And so it's beautiful. And so it's like all these trespasses, we see all this evil in the world. For those of us who are Christians, we can say, I can't wait till God's grace comes. I can't wait. Yes, the towers have fallen down. There's debris everywhere. It looks like mass chaos. And there is an army of flotillas coming on the water to save people. Oh my gosh, look at the grace. But you don't get the army of flotillas, you don't get the good news, you don't get the story until the bad happens and people, instead of choosing selfishness, lay down their life to go help. That's the gospel. All those people in those boats stole God's story. Jesus coming to rescue people who are on an island of sin. They stole the story. And God's in heaven saying, that's me. That's my plan. I'm just giving you a little taste. And we're like, oh, that's a cute story. Now I'm just going to have my life the way I want to have it. It's like, no. How desperate are you? Isaiah 45, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said this. He said, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn truth has gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said to me, righteousness and strength is only in the Lord. All who are enraged against him will come to him and be put to shame. All the descendants of Israel will be justified and find glory through the Lord. The descendants of Israel, we looked at this last week with Abraham, is anyone who has faith like Abraham had. 
Not people that obey the law and were circumcised. We looked at that last week. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying anybody who believed that God could save them before they did any laws or even knew there were any laws, that's the person God says, I will justify. Someone who says, I can't. I need you. I surrender. Help me surrender more. Help me be around people that will help me surrender more. Yes, God says. Man, that's glorious. Romans 5 goes on to say, since by the one man's trespass, death reigned. There's that word death. We'll see it all the way through. That one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. The DNA is there. So also through one righteous act, there is a life-giving justification for everyone. Adam committed one sin. Jesus died one time for that sin. That's why we don't have to keep re-crucifying Jesus. It's why Christians of the Protestant denomination don't have Jesus still on the crucifix. Because he died once, came off, and came back to life. It's over. He goes on, he says, For just as though one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. See, it's through our obedience that others get to see the righteousness and justification of God. It's not for us. That's what it says. He didn't do it for him. I'm, Jesus was already righteous. He did it so there would be a way for others to see how good God was. Galatians says it this way. Galatians 2. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, this is Paul writing, who was a Jew, know that no one is justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. It's not possible. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. In other words, if we just keep sinning because we're like, well, I'm just gonna keep sinning because that just means God loves me more if I just keep doing wrong stuff. No. It's the stupidest thing. That's like taking a brand new gift. I'm like, if I keep hitting this computer with a hammer, my parents are going to be so happy with me. Like, watch. Oh, look, the hard drive flew out. That's so nice. Like, what are you doing? Well, I, took, I wanted to beat up your gift. I thought it was great. No. <laughs> you cherish it. Take care of it. If you value it. He says, goes on in Galatians, it says, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live by faith. In other words, instead of trying to measure up, I put my faith that God will work in my heart. He will change me. He will use the body of Christ to change me. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could become justified by faith. That word guardian, it, it means something. It, back in those days, the, the Romans, the, the Roman people would have slaves that would take care of their children for them so they didn't have to. They would purchase and buy slaves, and these slaves were the guardians of those children. Protecting those children until their parents came back, until their parents came home. It was their responsibility, and if they didn't protect the kids well, and they came home and the kids were gone or hurt, guess who died? The slave. And so God is saying the law was there as a protection to point us to God coming back to get us, to save us. Mom and dad coming home. They weren't the savior, they were just helping. And he goes on, he says, 
But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We always have dad with us, Abba Father. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 4 says, You are trying to be justified by the law, are alienated from Christ, you've fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope to be made right. Don't get trapped and we can fix our problems. We cannot fix our problems. Jesus can. And make sure you lead with the gospel. Don't lead with a secondary thing. Don't say, well, I can fix this problem. I do all these things. Oh, and Jesus. No. If, if people don't surrender to Christ, then all they do is use the law for their own advantage and for their tribe. God's saying, look, we eagerly wait for the hope. So when people say, well, we're going to make this right, you go, no, you're not. I'm, I'm, I want things to be right. There is justice. And what you're actually promoting, actually the Bible says not to do what people are doing that you're upset about. I agree with you, totally. But that's not the answer. The answer is, we need Christ. We need a Savior. And we need to then, once we have him, recognize that what he said is good and tell them, hey, these laws, they're, they're they're slaves that are trying to take care of you, but do you really want to be under that relationship or do you really want a close relationship with the Father? He goes on and says this. Jesus tells a story to illustrate this in Luke 18. He tells, tells a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, justified, and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray. They went to church. Oh, good, they're going to church. Yay. Okay. One a Pharisee, that's a religious leader, the other one a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. They extorted the church. They were legally allowed to extort the church. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. God, thank you that I'm not like other greedy, unrighteous adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Praise the Lord. Because, you know, those tax collectors got to be careful because someday, you know, the government right now is trying to take away nonprofits' tax exempt status. Oh, my gosh. We can't let that happen. It's, Jesus, is, that's a tax collector. <laughs> God, God won't stand for that. Okay, watch this. But the tax collector says this, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven. In other words, he wouldn't even get close to church. He wouldn't even get close to the temple. He wouldn't even get close, probably because he was a Gentile and knew he shouldn't. But he kept striking his chest saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went to his whole house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted, and we cannot stand that message today. I've humbled myself enough. It's time for me to be exalted and them to humble themselves. God says, I deserved everything, and you crucified me. Titus says this, Titus 3, when talking about justification, says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. 
to obey and be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting and to be kind, showing, always showing gentleness to all people. Gentleness doesn't mean weakness, by the way. You can be gently, like, forceful, right? Like it's, sometimes it's important to be gentle with a backhoe, right? You don't just start digging in the ground and hit whatever you want. You gently rip through the ground and the rock. Ow. More gentle. And then he goes on, he says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. He poured out this spirit on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about law, about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. The Constitution and the Founding Fathers say, big whoop de doo dah what's God say? I'm not against my country. That's why Titus started out with submit to the rulers and authorities. And anyone who's not willing to do, to do this, you need to insist they do. Because there's something being exposed about their heart, about how they think they're going to justify themselves and justify other people. See, we're seeing the end of the American experiment. If we give people freedom, they'll choose the right thing. Never happened in human history. Has it never happened? It doesn't. And the more laws we make to back up the laws we make, guess what? We just get worse. And we get more creative in how we don't do those laws. Why? So that we can justify ourselves and say, I'm better than you because I created my own law. Take that. I'm my own God. Bible says you can expect this will happen regardless of what government or culture you're in. And so Paul says, be careful how you handle this. He wraps up Romans 5. He says, the law came along to multiply the trespass. In other words, the reason the law was there to sh was to show us how in trouble we are. Right? It's there to show you how selfish, how wicked you are. I mean, that's what the law's there for. It's like you're in trouble. But where sin is multiplied, grace is multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness. Not a righteousness we do, but a righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, the only way we get to real life, real eternal life, the only way we're made right, the only way we experience grace, the only way we can suffer death and be ready for death and be okay with death is if we believe that Yahweh is Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other religion that puts this out there, by the way. Christianity is very exclusive because either it's true or I've said this week after week. If you're here and you're not a Christian, 
I want you to be a Christian. I want you to believe in Christ. I want you to believe in him. But can I just tell you, Christianity should be the first religion you get rid of if you're looking to save yourself. It's the first one you should dismiss because it's different than all the rest. There is no way you're going to be justified before a righteous, holy God someday by standing in front of him and saying, I read your Bible. I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. I did all these things. You're going to stand before him someday and say, I'm not worthy, but you are. And I've been telling you that my whole life. That's why I want to be with you. I don't want heaven. I don't want a mansion. I don't want streets of gold. I just want you. That's all I want. Because I know who I am and I don't want to be this. And I know you're the one that can change me. That's the message our world needs desperately. And we're the ones that get to carry it. Which is why in Romans 6 as we wrap up it says, what should we say then? Should we continue to sin? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. That's what we read in Galatians as well. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, the path to life is first we have to die to ourselves. We die to our works and we say, God, we want you to do your work. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. That's not like baptism saves you. It's the picture it's an image, and it's the baptism that God gives, which is through the Holy Spirit, not the baptism of water. And it says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. Let me ask you, are you walking in a new way of life? Or do you keep going back to the old way of life? When I say old, I mean go back to Job. Go back to Adam, old. That I've done something wrong and now I have to work it off. I have to measure up. I have to impress people. Got to keep my life in order. Or have you gone back and said, I can't. I surrender like the tax collector and beat your chest and say, I'm nothing. And so I wake up again today just as much in need of the gospel the good news. I'm just as much in need of the good news and I'm not ashamed to tell people I need it today as much as I did yesterday and I'm gonna need it five years from now as much as I need it now. I need the good news that, that he is who he says he is and then when we do the works of the law, you know why we're doing it? To say thank you. Just to say thanks. Like you read the law and you're like, oh, that's neat. Wow, that shows me about your heart. I want to be like you. I want to be with you. I want you to be close to me. So I want to do what you want to do. Okay. This is great. Not, oh, I better do this or he's going to leave me. He's going to, give me, he's going to put me back with the slave to take care of me. The guardian. God says he wants you to know that you are justified. He wants to let you know that you are loved that you have his grace, that you can be forgiven. And if you understand that, you will live a different life. And we're going to look at that next week. You will live a life where you start dying to what you want and start living for what he wants because you know that's what real life is. 
And all the time where you're going through that process, you can keep going back to him and say, this doesn't make me better with you. (laughs) This just helps me be more like you so that others can see how great you are. Let me ask you this morning, where are you in your relationship with God? Are, Are you like Paul? Are you so confident that he has justified you, that you have justification, that You don't have to justify yourself. You can just confess your sin when you mess up to people. You can just, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Or do you have to get a zinger in there? Do you understand that he loves you, that you don't have to measure up, that you can come before him and make the worst art project ever and be like, here, and he's like, "That's, that's nice. You're not an artist, I love you, right? There's other things I want you to do. Let's do those. (laughs) See, God wants you to have a relationship with him. It's like that. And there's no other God. There's no other religion on the face of the planet like it. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for this idea of justification. And I pray that if someone here has been trying to justify their life by their education, by their degrees, by, by doing the right thing, by their family name, by, by whatever it is that Father, they would get off that rat race of running that circle over and over again and they would come to you and say, like Job did, can anyone be justified without you doing it? And the way to do that is to simply admit that, Jesus, you were perfect. You didn't have to be justified and you laid your life down for us and so we accept the payment that you made that we deserve and then your grace and your Holy Spirit comes into us to change us. Father, I pray this morning that if someone doesn't know you, they would finally surrender their will. For those of us who are believers, I pray, like Paul says, I pray that we would ask the heart question of have we slipped from grace? Are we going back to works in our life subtly to try to have the life we want instead of clinging to the eternal life to come? And then the life we live, we're living because we want people to see you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would change. That we would respond to you today in this moment and this week. And for those of us who may be doing well, those of us who are listening to this message and we celebrate that the weight is off, that there's peace, that we're justified, I pray we'd rejoice. I pray there'd just be a sense of peace and joy in our hearts because of who you are, not what we've done. Amen. Amen.